It's just about being authentic and being honest. And there's a Harvard professor called Jeff Polzer, and he spent a large portion of his career studying how these small social exchanges can have basically outsized impacts on group dynamics. And of all of those things, vulnerability is the most fundamental ingredient in building cooperation and trust. And when we're asking our teams to do these different things beyond the pills or, or we're trying to engage them into a new project, we have to have that trust. We have to have that engagement. And that comes through vulnerability. We can talk about how that looks and everything, but basically, Coyle, the author of this book. Hey, everybody. My name is Josh Remini. I am the pharmacist that de-prescribes drugs by giving people health and wellness tips, tricks, hacks to moving their health from maybe not so good to vibrant. Follow along if you're ready to go beyond the pills. Hey everybody, I am super excited for my next guest, my friend and colleague, Travis Wolf. We're gonna talk some really cool stuff today with Travis. So Travis is board certified ambulatory care pharmacist. He's a multi-pharmacy owner, founder of Farm Further Business Coaching, and his mission to help community pharmacists implement new clinical services into traditional dispensing workflows he quickly learned that it all comes down to people. After learning this, he worked to become certified in psychology of leadership from Cornell. That sounds crazy complicated to me. So that you could teach pharmacists around the globe how to thrive in employee engagement and succeed with specific implementation science-based designed approaches. Travis has built a community of high leverage pharmacy owners focusing on growing your revenue by building your people. I would call that your mantra, my friend. And ask Travis how you can join Farm Further Movement and start improving the workplace culture today. So without further ado, hello, Travis. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Oh, this is going to be fun. So we're really going to talk about this whole concept of growing your revenue by building your people. And the theme of this summit is Beyond the Pills. You know, I like to say moving pharmacy into the future, we, we're going beyond the pill, but there's a piece that we have to talk about, which isn't just the thing you do, right? It's the culture and the people that come with that, which I've had the experience of having that challenge in my pharmacy. So I'm excited for this topic because I think it's so relevant as we move our profession forward, the people got to be on the bus. You're going to have a little mini presentation for us, and then we're going to have a nice conversation about what we can do today so we can get prepared for tomorrow. Yeah, that sounds great. I think it's a really good conversation to have. I think people are always looking for things beyond the pills because the way we get paid for the pills is different, and we know that it doesn't make people as healthy as we'd like it to. I know your pharmacy focuses a lot on that. But you know, when we look beyond the pills, anything you want to try to put into your pharmacy it requires your culture to endorse that new thing. And it requires having the right people in the right seats, as you already said. And in my experience, the people under your roof are your most undervalued and your most expensive resource that you have at your hands. And there are tons of statistics we could look at that are cost to replace employees, cost to hire employees. I really do believe but Farm Further, we always say we're going to grow your revenue by building your people because investing in your people is the best investment you can make no matter what you want to do in your business. 
Yeah. And it could be the best or worst investment you make. I agree. Your biggest asset and all and liability in pharmacy in business is your employee. It's our biggest line item on our expenses. And we've talked about it. We've worked with you. You've helped us tremendously. So let's get started. I really want to dig into the meat of what you have to offer and really plant this solid seed because this is such a crucial piece to moving this thing forward. Like I said, it's not just what you do, it's who you do it with. So I'll, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll let it go off to you. I'm going to share a mini presentation here and I've got a few things to kind of go through. So there's a lot of stuff I want to tell you about today. If I go too fast or you want me to slow down and come back or finish back to it later, I'm very much an open book. I'm happy to go in, into it any way you want to. But our mission is just to grow your revenue by building your people. I told you guys that already. When we look at different ways to do that, today I was thinking, how can we talk to people about this? And for me, I always get questions that fall under these major categories. So that's what I wanted to kind of touch base on today so that we can talk about it because there's a big wide range of things we can talk about with your people. But these three things are what people's questions almost always fall under. So culture, people engagement, and then change. And the change is the big piece of the implementation spot. And there's a lot of ways you can implement change into your workflows and with your people and getting the right people to do that in line with your culture. So it's kind of a vertical integration kind of thing. But just for culture, there's a lot of great resources out there. People want the secret message, you know, the secret code, the secret password to that. There are tons of resources I could recommend you read or, or I could teach you what I think are the key pieces. And I focus on five main pillars whenever I'm coaching with my Farm Further clients. And a lot of those are helpful. The whole trick is there's a lot of different ways you can do them. You know, my pillars are we have to establish clear communication, for example, but there's a different array of ways you can do that. If you want to use a Slack channel or a monthly employee meeting or a group phone call. So that's the thing. We're all independent pharmacists because we want to be independent and we want to do it our own way. So there's no one right way to do things. There are a lot of one wrong ways to do things that we mm -hmm. find the hard way sometimes but that I can discuss with people. But as a basic overview, there's a book called The Culture Code. It's from Daniel Coyle. He's a pretty fascinating organizational psychologist, author. And so I wanted to kind of go over that and then we can dive deeper another time, Josh, on what to do with that information. But this is kind of the basis of it. And this book is really fun because the whole thesis of the book is based on the marshmallow stick challenge, which you guys maybe have heard of before, but you give people, you know, spaghetti noodles that are dried, one marshmallow, some scotch tape and some string. There's a psychology experiment, basically, where a designer and architect had different types of teams use these materials to see who could build the tallest structure. And they had lawyers, they had CEOs, they had MBA students, they had business professionals. And the group that actually had the highest tower hands down every time were kindergartners. Hmm. And they were studying, why is that? What made their group different? And they had found those similarities in a lot of very successful groups that you guys know today. If you see the teams at Chick-fil-A or you see how Google operates, there's a couple of famous restaurant organizations that are multi-billion dollar industries. They operate the same way. You know, they found different reasons why that was, but the MBA students, interestingly enough, were the worst ones. And when they studied that in this book, they found a number of things, but a lot of it, the MBA students had to discuss all of their theories. They had to thoughtfully and politely discuss why someone might be right, why they might be wrong. They had to discuss the plans. The architects, of course, had lots of different ideas about how to do it. 
And we see that in pharmacies a lot. You know, when you're talking about the culture of pharmacies, you got a lot of chiefs who have been in the industry for various amounts of time and have seen it in different states, basically. And it matters how they show up and it matters how they interact. What actually that comes down to, there's a thing called status management. And that's what a lot of the book is about. And I see that in pharmacies all the time. You know, the status management is a big deal because we've got clerks, we have techs, we have compounding techs, we have maybe a salesperson or a pharmacy educator that's working out there. You've got pharmacists, pharmacy managers. And Josh, I know you guys have got a unique model. You know, you've got an integrator, you've got an operations person who is separate from the integrator. What happens with the kindergartners is they get rid of that status management. They get rid of those group dynamics. They don't care who's in charge. They're just trying to do the best job that they can. And so successful groups come in all shapes and sizes is a big premise of the book. And to get that done correctly, the group success starts with safety. The members of the organizations that you think about, they don't even call themselves a group, a company, or a team. They use the word family because the groups run deep. And I actually read an interesting article the other day from the Harvard Business Review that you shouldn't use that term family. I don't know that I agree with all of their points, but the culture code, I mean, it says that the intense closeness hinges not really on the hours that we spend in the office or or on the team building retreats or even in an open floor plan, right? Because pharmacies are usually an open floor plan where you can see and talk to each other. What this author thinks is the human connection itself is what fosters the safety. And that in turn fosters even more strong connections, giving away to this intensely close, successful goal achievement that these teams are seeing. The culture code, you know, it's concerned with why is safety so important. And and we see that. And, And a lot of times, especially we've been through a pandemic, we have a changing industry where we have crunching margins and threats all the time. So the whole point of your conference, Josh, was beyond the pills. We have to be figure out how we can provide some group safety to our team. And there's lots of authors have touched on this. One of the best studies is an MIT study where they're human dynamics lab. They basically took highly effective groups and they revealed that they have an abundance of what they call belonging cues. Do people belong? And these are just subtle behaviors that put group members at ease and create a sense of collective safety. And there's a really cool quote from Aesop's back in BC times when he talked about four oxen that were trying to defend against a lion. And as long as they had their rear ends towards each other, they could defend against the lion. But whenever they quarreled and they didn't get along and they all went to separate corners of the pasture, then the lion could pick each one of them off one by one. Same thing here, group safety. If we are confident that the other person in the room has got our best interests at stake, we're not defending ourselves against that person. We're not worried what they're saying, what they're doing, and how they're doing the qualities that show up at work. And so if we do that, then we can actually work to make sure that we're defending against the threats that are outside of our four walls. We can have an effect on those a little bit more. Sharing vulnerability is another big one. I think a lot of my coaching clients come to me with a workflow issue or a failed implementation, or sometimes I've got a disgruntled employee, but people think that vulnerability is this touchy-feely thing. It's not always, you know, it's just about being authentic and being honest. And there's a Harvard professor called Jeff Polzer, and he spent a large portion of his career studying how these small social exchanges can have basically outsized impacts on group dynamics. And Of all of those things, vulnerability is the most fundamental ingredient in building cooperation and trust. And when we're asking our teams to do these different things beyond the pills or or we're trying to engage them into a new project, we have to have that trust. We have to have that engagement. And that comes through vulnerability. We can talk about how that looks and everything. But basically, Coyle, the author of this book, he just observed that high-functioning teams 
they really tend to be intentionally engaging in vulnerability and vulnerability increasing exercises. And we do something like that at all of our company retreats personally for my stores. We do something that requires some vulnerability. Look at some of your really tight-knit teams like Marines or Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs are talked about quite a bit in the book. They've got a terrible drill called the log PT drill, and it's where they have to hold a 200-pound log together while they're doing different workouts and different things. And each person has to be doing their little bit of, of work, and they have to predict who is about to drop and who is about to shift. And if they're not all working together, then they can drop that log and they all everything's lost to them. So the same thing with vulnerability with your team. you got to find a way to incorporate that in so you can build that cooperation, basically. Practicing teamwork, that sounds simple, but we don't often practice what needs to happen. And successful teams, you know, they practice, practice, practice. And what happens is if you can break down each component of what you're doing and make it better and make it stronger, that is really great. I won't talk about it today, but I've talked a lot of other places about the S-curve. People always wonder, how can we give someone a new curve? But you don't have to have this big, wild new project. You can look. I had a conversation with a, with a coaching client yesterday. You can look at a current process. It can be perfected, and you can put that team member to look how to make it better. If they look at each component and break it down, the repetitive practice, it may seem actually closely linked to them for safety, vulnerability, and the interconnectedness. So I think that's really the big pieces of that and getting that just like the Navy SEALs would do. Pixar is another example. They have these brain trust meetings where people are very vulnerable. The management come in and they pick everything apart, but they don't give any recommendations about how to fix it because the person in the workflow is the one that's going to have the right examples. Josh, you or I could have a discussion with a clerk about some process that we're in. It's hard for us to tell them what's wrong without telling them what we want them to do different. But they're the ones actually prepping deliveries every day. They're the ones that are dealing in the workflow with the actual process. So we can say what the issue is and then let them maybe come up with it and in practice how we can make it better. And the last piece here on this culture thing is just follow the guiding light. I like how he words that because I'm a little bit different than most business coaches. A lot of them get tied up in you got to have a mission, you got to have a vision, you got to have your values. For me, I think calling it a guiding light is better because there's lots of places that got their values up on the wall on a poster and it's on their website, but they haven't really operationalized those values to really be meaningful at all. And your team has to be, they got to fit. And so when you hire someone new or you're asking people to work together, they got to have similar values. And honestly, I don't care if they're on your wall or not. I want people to just to live by them. It needs to be a short list. For me, it's difficult for a lot of people I find that they can actually make that list of values based on what they have in common with their teams. What really works best is to think about the times you've been upset with somebody. If you have a team member that's really ruffling a lot of feathers with the rest of your team, they're probably stepping on a value that your core team holds valuable to them. You know, I think it's important just to think through that. Where are the times you've been really mad at an employee? Where are the times that you really want to dive deeper and, and figure out why that didn't work or why they didn't? If you operationalize it the right way, it becomes very handy. So, for example, one of our one of our values is family. And we want our patients to be like family, obviously, but we want to treat each other like family, too. And we had an employee who no longer works with us. We had a discussion a few weeks ago for a number of reasons, but they were always going to be late, they would say, I'm going to be late today. 
well, in our culture, we want you to say, I'm going to be late because things happen, right? You've got sick kids, you've got car wrecks, you've got things that you need to be late for work for. But for us, we want you to say, I'm going to be late. My plan is to be there by 11 a.m. Or my plan is to be there by this time. If they don't do that, then it's completely disrespectful to the rest of the team because now they can't plan the rest of their day. They don't know if they have coverage for lunch breaks. They don't know when to put the order up on the shelf. They don't know who to have what in position. Of course, that's going to happen sometimes without expectations. But if it's happening repetitively, it's an easy conversation to have. Say, hey, when we hired you, we told you one of our values is family. We're violating that value because we're not respecting everyone and letting them know this. And we need you to start doing that. And so having things like that set up, if that is trust, and and it could be a random list of things. You know, we've got a value that we call IEQ, and it stands for Innovation, Excellence, and Quality. One of our values is humor. There's no right or wrong way to have your values. It's just figure out what works best with your team and how they can kind of get along with that. So that's just some basics on culture, you know, to kind of get you guys started. I do recommend reach out to me if you're hung up on any of those or if you tried some of those and got stuck. This is the really fun part to look at. You know, I've got a couple of different certifications with psychology of leadership. I do very much follow into the DISC certification, and I'm almost done with, with my next DISC certification. I'm going through that training right now. But this is really, for those of you watching this, this is where Josh and I kind of connected and Josh kind of saw, I think, some value. I'm speaking for him, but we had one of his employees that was highlighted that maybe they were in the wrong seat and we were able to see their skills. This probably looks foreign to you unless you've seen it before. And I won't take the credit for this. This wheel is a thought process through a place called the Oval Group. You can get DISC assessments from various organizations. The Oval Group, they use DISC, but they also do a behavior driver test. And those drivers are used in combination with your DISC assessment to kind of put you on this chart. It's a little specialized approach, but I'll give them the credit for that. But I want to talk through just some examples of what you might find on here, because When I ask pharmacy owners to take a disc test like this, they never understand what we're going to get out of it. But when I throw all their team up there, what I like to do is throw all of their names on here in the proper spot and they can see who will jive with who and why. So let's talk through that a little bit. If you can just picture a vertical line here and then a horizontal line in the middle, both of those ways, then we would basically have four different pies or four different pie pieces. Up in the top right, we've got the D. I've got the I in the lower right. I've got the S in the left and the C in the left upper up there. So the D stands for dominance. And these folks are people who are really high capacity for a lot of projects. They've got a meticulous desire to get things done correctly and on time. They typically run very efficient. But sometimes, you know, efficiency can override their ability to work with others. And I tell everyone that we're all perfectly imperfect. So from all of these letters, if you have some that shows up here, we're always compensating for something somewhere. It's just about being aware and knowing what you're compensating for. Furthermore, any kind of stressor that you have in life, whether it's a good stressor or a bad stressor, because some things are good, like buying a house, which can be stressful, but it's a good stressor. That type of thing can cause you to not be able to compensate. And we'll talk more about that here in just a second. So the D's, you know, very efficient, very high capacity, very direct. They don't have time for small talk because they're trying to get stuff done. They can be either your best advocate when used correctly in a team, or they can be the team's worst enemy if not set up correctly because they can be seen that there is no I in team and they don't need the team. Set up correctly, that can be really helpful. The I's down here, I stands for influencer. They are your people people. They're the ones that can talk to anyone in the room. 
they can typically mold in with whatever's going on in the situation. They want to be friends with everybody. I always give the example, they can go to a conference and they can sit at a table and the table really likes dogs. And they say, yeah, I love dogs. I'm a dog person. And they can switch tables five minutes later and they're a cat table. And they can talk about all the reasons immediately why cats are better than dogs. But they just talked a second ago why the dogs are better than cats. They just want to mold in with everybody. They've got their strengths and their weaknesses. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. The S stands for steadiness, but supporter, I think, is a great term for them. They typically can just fulfill any kind of system that's already been going for them. The placement on this wheel is really important. The Oval Group did a good job setting these up. Notice that the D and the S are completely opposite of each other. So the Ds, they don't mind conflict. They see healthy conflict as a good thing. I've got a problem. Let's work through it. Let's fix it. Let's move on. The Ss hate conflict. They will be in the other room. If they see conflict, they're going to leave the room completely. But interestingly enough, a lot of pharmacists are really high Ss, and they tend to avoid conflict with employees and personnel until it's too late and it explodes. It's not always healthy to be an avoider, but a lot of them end up there. But they're really great. You know, they're really great at supporting the mission of other people. And they're great with patients because they're supporting their success. And that's a good thing. The one time you'll see supporters actually get mad is if somebody else on the team gets hurt by someone else. Because they are kind of like the mama bear. And they come out and they don't want anyone else getting hurt. They will allow themselves to get stepped on all day long. But they don't want anyone else getting stepped on. It affects how they show up. And then the high C's in the top left up there, that stands for compliance. I really like to call them the calculators because they have to analyze everything. And they are wonderful assets to your team whenever you're planning some stuff. But they can get a little bit in that analysis paralysis because they get stuck in the Excel spreadsheet. But these folks are often pharmacists also because you'll see that they were good in pharmacy school and they had good grades and they can analyze a lot of things really well. They love spreadsheets and they carry around multiple highlighters, multiple colors of ink pens, and they like to organize and reorganize. They love lists. They have a list for their list. And they're the ones that put the grocery list in the order of the grocery store because I like to do that. I, I have one coaching client. She's a high C and she puts her grocery list in the order of the shelves. And so her husband, if he goes to the store for her, if he's gets an item on the list, like if he sees, you know, well, I found the ketchup, but the item above that was the taco seasoning. He knows he missed the taco seasoning because it was somewhere between the ketchup and the item above the taco seasoning. He organizes it by the grocery store. And I mean, that's a typical high C thing to do where everything is at. So let's talk through how you use this chart and how it might be helpful to you because that's what we really want to do in the beyond the pills kind of thing. So how do you communicate with these people? Because you're going to have these people on your team and when I talk through this, you're going to be able to identify folks in your team who might be experienced in this. But let's go back in order. Let's go back to the high Ds. Ways to communicate with them. Be brief, be bright, and be gone. We're not here to talk about the weather. I don't want to hear about your weekends. I want to talk about what's going on. Definitely ask them what questions. Speak at a fairly rapid pace. Always provide solutions. Don't provide opinions. They don't want to hear your opinions. They want solutions. And then you can always provide facts and figures about the probability of success if you want to, but mostly just be to the point and kind of be brief into that. 
ways not to communicate with them. Some of it is the opposite, but don't be redundant. That will drive them crazy and be a waste of their time. Don't let any kind of disagreement reflect on them personally. Don't ever forget or lose things or be disorganized because if they notice you have a disorganized workspace, they're going to just immediately dismiss you and think that you're not capable of really doing what they're asking to do because they like it to be organized. And so, and I said, everyone has good and bad, right? So everyone has what the oval group likes to call our time wasters. High D people like this with dominance, they are very poor at delegation because nobody can do it as good as them. And they got a huge capacity. They can do way more than anyone else on the chart. It's hard for them to know when to delegate and they go from extremes where they don't delegate anything and then they hire some people and then they delegate everything and they don't want to be involved at all because they can't get in that kind of gray area a little bit. And really the four delegation it really just comes down to an inability to discriminate between the tasks that actually need your time and attention versus those where the others are actually capable of accomplishing those. And it's not only they want to give up control, they just want to get things done and they have really good ways to get that thing done. They have to really develop a strong support team around them that they trust that can take those tasks and that they have the right systems in place to measure and monitor those tasks and make sure that they're correct. Other time wasters for high dominant people, there's not always a written plan because they're really intelligent and they're really able to pivot quickly and change the direction based on how things are going, whereas some personalities really need that plan. And so with the high D people, if you can teach them how to like use lead measures and you can teach them how to track some of their goals and change their sales, it can be life-changing for them. It can really help them a ton. I think it really helps them a lot. I could talk about each one of these forever, but let's change gears and talk about the eyes. They've got good and bad too. Like I said, they like to talk to everyone. They don't have a very good sense of time. They will often be five minutes late everywhere because they were busy talking to the last person at the last place they were at. They're very much visionaries. And so they can plan a million things to get done and think that they're going to finish it by noon and still go out and have lunch with friends. And their to-do list is like never ending. Ways to communicate, understand their sporadic listening skills because they listen into multiple conversations at once and are, are pretty good at it usually. They need systems to follow. And if I ever see a pharmacy owner who is in this category, they got to be hiring people on the other side over in those calculators. They have to, to be successful because they'll be too dreamy to actually get anything done. They like you to be open. They like you to be honest. They like you to be informal. They're very much relational when you talk to them. And because of that, you have to leave time for relating and socializing. If a strong D jumps in with a strong I, it can be disastrous because the D wants to get down to why the TPS reports don't look right. And the I wants to know what you did this weekend. And what are you going to do next weekend? And what are you going to do for fun? What did you have for dinner last night? Where did you go for lunch yesterday? you got to leave time for that for them to be successful and be able to communicate with them. You can provide ideas for them to implement, but you have to be very specific and you can't leave anything to chance. That's a big, big no-no. And it helps if you're going to have an important conversation with them to isolate them from interruptions. Text messages and emails and phones and whatever might interrupt them. The other thing is, though, with eyes, they're really good with people. So you always want to ask for their opinions and their ideas regarding people because they talk to so many people and they can mold in so easily. They usually have a good perspective as to why someone's showing up to work well or why they're not. Ways not to communicate, just don't dream with them because you'll lose them. You'll never get back on task. Don't drive on facts and figures and alternatives because they need to dream a little bit with you. Don't dictate to them because they don't want to be legislated. They don't want to be over-controlled. Don't ever take credit for their ideas. If you've got a high eye technician or pharmacist working for you, always, when in doubt, get in the credit. Because if you do take the credit, it, it'll ruin your trust and it'll be hard for them to get it back. Sometimes these people can come off as arrogant or cocky. 
So just don't be put off by that. They're not trying to be usually. Often they just want to talk to you about what they know and they're trying to help you. They just don't know when to shut up sometimes. Don't ever assume that they heard what you said. If you don't have them repeat it back, you think you're on the same page and then you realize you're on a very different page. So don't ever assume that you are there and always follow up. Always, always follow up with an eye. Make sure you have your next meeting set because if we say we're going to talk in a week or two, it might actually be a month or two or further out. Time wasters for them, they don't ever say no to anything. They overbook their schedule. That's where that to-do list was coming from, I was telling you. So they have a, a huge inability to say no. And like I said, they're very helpful people. They don't want to lose out on anything for you. So they often have an open door policy, which can get them in trouble. You know, it's hard for them. They don't have a great filing system, usually. It's helpful to help them with those types of things. And then the other one that I always tease about is long lunches because they usually don't leave on time for lunch and they usually don't come back on time for lunch. And that can be lunch breaks sound silly, but those are one of the biggest complaints I get from pharmacy teams is if this first person goes late, then the last person is going to lunch at 4 o'clock p.m. because we didn't have everybody kind of on schedule. The high S's, they don't like conflict, so ways to communicate with them. You know, you want to use a very unemotional approach. You want to kind of approach them from the basics. They like you to give pros and cons, not as much as the high C, but they do like that a little bit. They do like expert testimonials. They do like to be listened to. They need the facts in a logical order. One thing about S's is you got to really respect their quiet demeanor. I know a lot of owners will mistaken an S for not being engaged, not caring, not really wanting to contribute. They don't often need to be heard in the room. And a lot of times they'll have a lot better way to do something than any of us could ever think to do it. But they don't say that unless they're asked. They're very quiet. They do like details in writing. They do like things defined clearly. Ways not to communicate. Remember, they don't like conflict. So don't ever talk coldly or harshly to them. Don't lose sight of the goals by being too personal either. Don't be demanding. Don't pretend to be an expert if you're not, because they're a supporter. So if you pretend to be one and find out you're not, they feel like you're a fraud and, and their earth kind of gets shattered. Don't ever say, trust me. That's a deal breaker for them. Don't ever say that to them. And don't leave things open to interpretation. They don't like the gray area. Not as much as this high seas, they don't like the gray area. If you've got someone who is in this area you maybe assigned a task to them before and it was a new project or a new program you wanted them to develop. They are not great at developing systems because they need a lot of feedback from someone who can tell them how to do the system. Once this system is designed, they can execute it very well. They're very good at running systems, but they don't like to create them. They don't want any of that gray area. Time wasters for them, failure to share information is a big one. Like I said, if they're not asked, they won't ever share it. And that can be good and bad, but mostly bad because they need to have that group safety we talked about with culture and have established routines that are comfortable for them, basically. And they do avoid conflict. So you got to check in all the time and see how they're doing. They don't exercise authority very well. So if they're one of your pharmacists, that could be difficult. If they find an error or a mistake, they're more likely to go in behind the technician when they're not looking and fix it. And they are to demonstrate what was wrong because they don't want the conflict. They're usually great pharmacists, but again, they don't want the conflict. And it's hard for them to be authoritative. They have to really work at it and kind of stretch themselves to do that. And that can be hard for them. And they like to resist change. It's hard for them to change because they're a supporter. And they're supporting what has always been. And they always have the reasons why we do things the old way. Because of that, they will postpone the unpleasant. Again, they don't like conflict. They want that low-conflict environment. Postponing the unpleasant, it's similar to procrastinating, but it's usually 
just continually reprioritizing your daily tasks to do the easy stuff first. You have to work with them to make sure that they can kind of get past that, basically. That's important. So the high fees, those are the calculators. You've got to be organized when you're going to communicate with them. You've got to give them time to verify the reliability of your comments. They got to make sure you're accurate and realistic. They don't act quickly ever. That is very stressful for them. So always prepare your case in advance. Like I said earlier, they get the analysis paralysis and you got to be able to provide solid and tangible practical evidence for them. And on the flip side, if you're thinking about how to not communicate with them, don't make statements about the quality of their work unless you can prove it. They got to have the proof. Don't make conflicting statements because they're going to catch you. So Josh, you said our rebate was figured off of how many generics we buy. It seems like we bought a lot of generics last month and our rebate wasn't big enough to get a bonus. What happened? They catch all those little bitty things. So just don't say anything. If you don't know the answer, tell them you're going to look into it because it's a lot better for your relationship. Don't ever leave things to chance or luck. That is very stressful for them. They got to have a plan. And they don't like testimonies or saying, it's kind of like, don't say, trust me. They don't want you to give them those testimonies. You have to prove it. You can't just say, trust me. And don't ever talk to them when they're extremely angry. Give them a minute to to cool off because they're going to be so stuck in the metrics and the pieces of why that they can't rationally work through stuff with you. Let's talk about time wasters for them, waiting for events to happen. Everything has to be perfect. And you know, as well as I do, Josh, that you learn a lot when you get started. So if you got a new project or you got a new program you want to implement, You need a rough system worked out, but you need to be able to get started with it because you're going to learn a ton from that. And that's a big downfall for them. They got to get it so perfect before they launch, they get stuck and they're not able to get those out. And so they're always seeking the best and not necessarily what's workable. The other really big thing with them is criticism, constructive criticism. They usually always overreact to constructive criticism. And the reason why is important to know. The reason why is because they are their own worst critic. So anything that you have to them, they already have been 10 times harder on themselves. So if they drop the ball on your team, be very careful how you give them the feedback because it's very hard for them to come out of that hole because they're always telling themselves that they're not good enough. So I know I just told you a bunch about this. You take a little quiz and then your people will show up somewhere on this chart. If they're in the same areas, it tells you they're going to think a lot alike. And so they would also have the same blind spots. So if you had two people that were I's, you would want to make sure you team them with somebody that had a little bit of C or S in them so they could help them cover the blind spots. I told you about D and S being opposite. C and I is opposite also. So if these are the calculators, they're always, always five minutes or 10 minutes early. They always have a plan. The eyes are just showing up by the seat of their pants whenever they can get there and don't have a system that the C's do. And so they balance each other, and that's a good thing, but that can also result in conflict because they communicate differently. They see things differently. They plan things differently. And in a pharmacy, you know, one thing that you, you and I talk about quite a bit, Josh, is what kind of positions do you want to be from what category? And these are all general themes. You see there's a lot of driving behaviors that can totally change this to make this inaccurate for someone. Realize what I'm telling you is generally what I see. You might have someone you're thinking is somewhere but doesn't fit one of the things I said. They don't have to fit at all. They can just fit some of it. When they take the little test, you can see where they're at. But high eyes are great people, people, as we talked about, for example. So they make great marketers. They make great pharmacy educators. They're not the only people that can market, but they're good at it. They're great at customer service. They can be really good delivery drivers for your pharmacy. 
They can be great to talk about supplements with folks, but they might not be the best compounder in your pharmacy because they're not accurate with weight. They're not accurate with following directions. If you gave them a formula for a compound, they would probably still make it a little bit different each time. So if you had to make the same one three times, it would be made a little bit different each time. So especially if they're a compounding technician or a pharmacist checking those, might not want them to be there. But then there's reasons not to have people in other places too. Like a high C on the other side, they make wonderful compounding technicians and they're very accurate. They're always going to make sure that they're plus or minus 10%. To them, they want to be exact. They don't want to be plus or minus 10%. They want to be plus or minus 0.01%. And even then they feel like they're a failure. So they make great compounders. They always follow the directions, but you don't want them to be the one selling your supplements because they're going to tell people reasons not to buy stuff. They're going to go through what you have and they're going to be like, oh no, this $40 product is not for you. It's got purple dye in there and you're wearing a purple shirt today and the two might not match the shade. They have silly reasons to stock you out of stuff. Supporters, as I said, they are great pharmacists, great technicians. The high dominant folks, typically you can't have too many of those in the same room because they're so high capacity that there's just a lot of miscommunication even though both or multiple parties have good intentions and they're both doing great things, they can't always communicate that to each other because they're both so efficient that it becomes very competitive. They're very competitive in nature. And so that can be difficult. People always ask, well, where's the best place for this kind of person? So we look at this. Another thing that I would go over on here is when you take these tests, there is a way you show up naturally and a way that you show up adapted. Adapted is how you've been showing up at work in the last six months. And when those two spots are stretched really far, it's stressful. So a lot of times when people come to me for coaching and I can show them basically, hey, let's take this test. It's a short 10 minute test or less for your whole team. They take it and put it on there. I can tell them, well, you called me about Jessica, didn't you? Because Jessica is really stretched. So I can tell whatever she's doing is not fitting what she's good at because she's never going to be good at that. You know, it'd be really hard for her to adapt to that. And so we can find those things out on there. Also, I find clusters a lot. I'll see an owner that's an I who seems to hire all C's and S's, or I'll see an owner who's a D who might have an operations manager that's a high S or a high SC kind of over here. Really interesting. I talked to, I have a newer client. They've got a few different locations. The owner is a high D. A lot of their key people are high Ds, like their financial person and stuff. But then almost all of the support staff have been hired as high S's over here. There's clusters of people. And then you'll have one or two outliers. Like maybe there'll be one person up here in the high C. Maybe there'll be one person down here in the high I. A different coaching client that has three locations, we did theirs about four weeks ago, and I've coached them for a long time, but they just had a lot of staff turnover. I said, let's redo the disc chart for them. They redid it, and there was one technician, Lone Ranger, up here, and I said, how is this person showing up at work? And they said, actually, we were going to ask you about them today because they are, they're not having a good time. We're having a hard time communicating with them. We don't know what's going on. Within one week's time period, they turned in their two weeks notice. They were already gone because they weren't communicating with everyone. It was a very uncomfortable environment. I know I went over a lot there, Josh. Any take-home points or anything that you've seen from this experience with my coaching or any questions you had about how to approach these things? No, I think it's 
good what i think is is there's no right or wrong disc right it's just who we are as individuals Mm -hmm. like i'm a high d super high d super high i and my s and c are like super low so i found over the years using this tool for myself is also important for me to not only talk to my staff and team members but also i use disc now in my consults so I'll do a quick mm-hmm. quick and dirty disc on a uh, patient because I know if they're a high D like me, get to the point, give them the bullet points and get on your way. But if you start analyzing and talking about features and benefits, I know I've already lost them. So I actually use this quick and dirty disc in my discovery calls now. And I think it's been really nice because you can learn how to talk to each different personality. And that way you're resonating with them, getting on their subconscious level of connection, you know? So that's what I've used and really like this for. Talk a little bit about onboarding. We use this prior to hiring people. We get their disc, we get their drivers. So we can see based around, like you said, like, hey, maybe maybe this, this role that we're looking for, they might have all the hard skills, but then if you're going to hire, let's say a marketer, you're not going to want them to be on that C side. So talk a little bit mm-hmm. about how you can use it to onboard or even screen for people that are right person. That's a great point. You know, I think it's a great tool for screening and hiring. Those clusters I talked about, you can see if they're going to really get along with your people or if they're not. Sometimes you've got a high leverage person on your team that you want to keep happy. And if you notice that they're opposite of that person, then they're, they might not last very long. The other thing is, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but whatever task you're going to have them do in the pharmacy, we want to make sure that fits whatever category they show up in. And you can use this to find holes too. Like I think that's why a lot of pharmacy owners will be opposite from other people on their team is because they are aware that they have that weakness. They are aware that they need help with that. They kind of overcompensate and they hire people on the other side. But if you're looking for someone to deal with people, you want that high eye. And I coach another client who has found a lot of success they're one of my longest standing coaching clients and they, they're a high D and they have tried pharmacy managers that are high S's or high SDs. And it just, it never works out. They never do what they want them to. And it almost always comes down to people management. So this last person they hired, we intentionally looked for a high I person. And anyway, they hired that person and they like day three on the job, we're doing things that people that were at the high S wouldn't even think about doing three months into the job, just dealing with people stuff. I called for my first coaching call with this owner and they didn't answer the phone. And I thought, well, they're a high I, so they got four time management. They're going to call me back in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, like 20 minutes later, they call me back and there were two technicians that had a dispute over a boyfriend outside of work that he's like day three on the job. He like immediately grabs another pharmacist and says, I want you to watch the bench for a minute. Takes the two technicians to the back and has a 20 minute conversation about, we need to get our crap out because we're not going to do it at work and it's affecting our patient care. Deals with it. The owner's in Mexico while this is happening and then comes back 20 minutes later and hops on the call with me. High S would have never done that. They would have went and worked around all those technicians and filled the scripts for them while they were bantering over this boyfriend situation. You want to use this to hire because it does tell you that your culture, but it also tells you if they're going to fit the job that you're asking them to do. If you have got a big project that's going to require a lot of data analytics, like you probably want that high C person. The I's are good at talking to people. 
but they don't always know who they should go talk to, right? They enjoy the people who are warm and bubbly, but they might need a high C person to analyze their data and to say, well, you saw this doctor, this doctor, and this doctor, and it turns out we're getting more scripts from this one, so you should go back and see this one. The high eye won't be able to see that. The high eye is going to be like, well, this person also likes the same beer that I do, so I'm going to go talk to them about that because I'm going to have a good conversation with them. You know, They don't look at the sales that were tied to that. And your customer base is the same thing. You're trying to sell to them. They're going to enjoy people that are like them, and they're going to have conversations. But absolutely, I think onboarding is a huge piece. And also, people move. After they've adapted about every two years, if their roles have changed a lot, they move. Usually, it's close by to where they were at, and so it's not a huge difference. But you may have hired someone using this, and they showed up really well. And then a little while into it, they are not doing well. And in that case, they tend to need to retake the test so they can learn out what changed and how they're showing up differently. I have personal experience with that. Like I used to be more like really higher D and a little less on my eye. But then as I started moving towards speaking in public and talking to other pharmacists about wellness and like my adapted role has now over time, like my eye starts shooting up a little bit. So it's really, that's why I think it's important. You can use DISC in so many ways and it's an ongoing tool, right? I always forget. It's always nice to have you in our coaching space because it's like, oh yeah, go back to that DISC when you want to have a critical conversation with an employee so you don't screw it up, right? If I'm in the room with an S and I talk the way that I talk, I'm going to lose them. I call them bobblehead. They're just going to yes away and not get what I want. And then I'll get frustrated. My wife is a high D, but I'm an I, she's a C. She's super conscientious about everything. And so when I come at you know, hey, it's fine. Let's just do it this way. And she's like, nope. If I'm one minute late from work, I'm going to hear about it. She's like, you said you would be here at four o'clock. It is 401, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but something happened. I got stuck in a conversation. She just, it's funny because when you were talking, it's like, I'm sure more people are like that. It's like, you can peg you, but you can also predict the conversation because we don't think about this stuff until it's like too late or the trigger happened. Like you were saying, don't talk to a C when they're triggered. And that's when I dive in. And so it's like, there's always a conflict. So I already told you before, I'm going to hire you just so you can help me with my relationship with my wife, because you could do that for a living too. Yeah. We talked about using this to coach, coaching people up. If there's something going on, we've talked about onboarding. We've talked about using it to get the right person in the right seat. What are some things that you, when you talk to your clients and coaching people, what are the things that they're shocked about when they get the desk? Give me a story. I want to hear yeah. one. That's a great question. I've got several stories to share. Usually there's like a lot of aha moments. Here's a big one. So eyes, they are so good at just talking that you're never really sure that they know what they don't know. And that can be really dangerous sometimes in a pharmacy, especially if you hire a pharmacist that is that way, because the eye is just trying to take care of everything for the owner. They're not very good at asking for help sometimes. And so they can make the owner believe they absolutely know what's going on and how to do something. When in reality, they have absolutely no experience. They're just willing to learn about it. You talked about, you look at these before you're going to have a critical conversation. I think that's a lot of eye-opening moments for people whenever they try to have these conversations and they don't do it in the context that the person would need it in. And I think 
one thing I go back to a lot is Frances Frey. She was the first female Harvard business professor, and she's broke a lot of glass ceilings, but she's changed the dynamic on authentic leadership. And so authentic leadership, we say show up as your authentic self. But what she poses in a couple of really good books she's written is that we need to be creating an environment that our people can show up as their authentic self. That's where the aha moments come in, where people are really surprised about things. If you're asking someone to show up in an environment in a way that's not them, if you're putting a high D person in a workflow where people are really chatty, it's going to drive them crazy. You talked about your wife, for example, being a high DC. You know, that's a really important point to make because people will hear something like this talk we did and they'll think high S, high C, high D, but you can move. So like a conductor is like your full on D. You can move over to implementer, persuader. Even a little square move, it changes quite a bit because you get that that high second number or the high I. And you describe that perfectly. The high I's, they can pivot. They can pivot and say, well, this came up and so I'm a little bit late. The, the DCs, they never make mistakes. They're always right. And they can yeah. prove it to you. You shouldn't have been late. And you talk about coaching clients. If I got a high C, I can't call them one minute late because they're going to think the call's over. They're going to think I canceled it. I have to finish on time and get to them on time. Otherwise, they think it's not there. Some big aha moments. Ask for some stories. There's a pharmacy that you might know of that had a compounding pharmacist that was, it was a high I. And there was a lot of disgruntledness between that compounding pharmacist and the salesperson who was selling those compounds. And we said, hey, you know what? probably not the best person to be checking compounds because their traits are not set up for it. So they're already in a stressful environment. And then the eyes like to plan their own day. They don't like someone else planning their day. So if someone who is not them is out marketing compounds and they have prescriptions coming in to be made and they don't know what they are marketing to the prescriber 30 minutes ago, it kind of pisses them off. They get mad about it, you know, and they take out everybody else around them. Their eye is influencers. They're very influential. So they make anyone else. So if you've got technicians in that lab, they're also going to make them pretty bitter about it. And on that same scenario, if the technician is a high C and that's where you want your compounders to be, you've got to be able to plan their work, you know, and they've got to know what you're doing with your marketing and they got to know what's coming down the pipe. There's lots of things like that where we can talk through. I had that high eye pharmacist that we selected. The owner, who's a high D, was pretty concerned because not very far into their employment, they were showing up late. Well, they're salaried, and again, they're a high eye. They don't have a good usage of time. They're likely to stay late to make up for it because they don't know to leave on time either. It's kind of nice to know because then you can kind of take the problem and then associate it with it's not really conscious, like they're not consciously coming in late or staying late. So when you understand them from that level, I think it just helps us all as leaders and team builders to really realize you get sort of that blame shame out of it a little bit. You're like, oh, it's not an excuse or a reason, but it's like understanding them from that level, I think is super important to know. Mm-hmm. It's also a liability if you don't know, because then it's like conflict after conflict because you just didn't come at it from the right angle. I think that's what we're talking Mm -hmm. about. It's like really looking at these as a tool, right? A tool in our toolbox, not just to understand that person, but how they understand each other and how these teams work together. And so I love this stuff. And every time I talk to you, it's like, oh, I got to go back into the discs and do more of it. I thought about a couple other good stories for you. You asked about what things come up, but occasionally I can read people pretty well as I get to talking to them. And that's a fun game for me to figure out where they're at before they actually take the test. You know, I like to do that and know them a little bit. 
and I've done some non-pharmacy organizations too. So that's been fun to see how they show up. Occasionally things are a little bit off. One thing I would say first is that people that are on opposite sides of the chart, often what drives you like the most crazy about another person, they're actually doing whatever is driving you crazy out of kindness to you. They're trying to be a good person to you. Some examples of that are if I, who is dreaming, shares a vision about how we're going to do something, the C's, you might see this with your wife, if you're a DI or she's a DC, the C's can almost feel like they're the dream crushers, right? They'll tell you all the reasons why it's not going to work. And you're like, okay, hold on a second. I just had this brilliant idea and all these things you're going to do. And they're like, well, how we're going to do that with what time, with what people wear, what resources. And the, the C's trying to be kind. They're trying to say like, hey, I'm trying to protect you from this. And this is not going to work because of this. I had a resident a couple of years ago who, whenever their schedule would change for the next day, I would update them immediately, whether it be by their calendar invite or their email or their text messages. It'd be things like, hey, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. when you walk in the door, we're going to see Mrs. Jones for diabetes, but now you're seeing Mrs. Smith for COPD. I wanted you to have a heads up. Well, this went on for like two or three months. And you said you go back and review the disc wheels. Well, we were having a disconnect. And so I went back to the disc. It even dawned on me. I said, oh, my gosh, this was stressful for you. You don't want to know about all that stuff. You want to walk in and own your day. And she said, yeah, she said, I don't want to know that my day changed tomorrow. I just want to show up and see my schedule and do whatever I'm being asked to do. I don't want to have all that stuff. And I thought I was being kind to her by, by telling her about all these updates so that she would know what was coming up. So that happens a lot. But as far as the good stories you asked about, a while back, I had a coaching client who, and for those that are listening, if you're not familiar with my model, I don't do contracts. So you can work with me for a little while and then you take a break and come back. Or you can say, hey, I'm going to stick with you for a while because I see a lot of value. Depending on the project, that's appropriate. And so I had a coaching client a while back that they hired a new pharmacist and they wanted to get them set up for success. And they had really just, gosh, they were going to change their world, right? They had a lot of great things they could do. There was already some weirdness going on. They had moved across several state lines. I couldn't figure out how they found this person, why this person came to work for them. And the owner, I'll be completely honest, they weren't quite buying into people coaching. They enlisted my help for some workflow issues they were having with a major program they were doing, but they had people problems. That's where we dove into that. They didn't really believe in all people coaching. So I did a few calls with this new pharmacist and they were presenting from different areas on the disc that are incompatible. There's no way that they can be the combination of the ways that they were presenting to me. And so I purposely asked a few questions to figure out like where they were at. And I wanted them to take the test. Now, I've not experienced this personally. I do have one client who had someone take this exact oval test. Again, there are different disc tests you can take. And apparently the test shut off in the middle of the exam at one point. And so they thought something was wrong with the software. They had interviewed this employee. They were trying to hire them. And they went back to the Oval Group and they asked them about it. And they said, oh, no, the person was trying to answer the test in accordance with what they thought you wanted to hear. They weren't answering it honestly. And the test can tell that. And it shuts off because we don't want liars. So anyway, so this person, the owner of the pharmacy, unfortunately, didn't want to invest in the Oval Group. We were using a different disc-related tool. And I don't know if it was made to shut off or not, but just talking through it. So I, I called the owner up, you know, and I said, hey, I'm still getting to know this guy. They're presenting from completely different backgrounds. So let me ask you some questions about how they show up. Do you see them being an organized person who likes to plan things? Or do you see them being 
the person who can talk to anyone and can kind of do that. Do you see them supporting the task? And so I asked some very specific tasks that I knew were happening in their pharmacy. And I asked how that person participated in there. After doing that for a little while, I did a few more calls with them. And I told the owner, I said, I am not a counselor. I do my training in psychology of leadership, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm not equipped to diagnose anyone. But from my understanding, this person you've hired is a sociopath and could be very dangerous to your team. And to be honest, the owner actually dismissed my coaching services because they were so bought into this person and how they were going to revolutionize their model that they didn't think I knew what I was talking about. About four months later, they were kind enough to contact me to tell me that person was totally a sociopath at minimum and potentially a psychopath. They had major mental issues going on. They had done such a good job selling themselves to the owner that they were great at buying into these crazy ideas and things that really weren't existent in what was going on. How they discovered it was this person was creating like chronic care management phone calls that actually never even happened with patients and having whole conversations and documenting them and billing Medicare. They were committing Medicare fraud. Things like that show up. I had another one that was similar, another coaching client, and they do buy into people's stuff very well. They had someone who they tested and they were supposed to be like a high eye, but they showed up very, very damaged and traumatized. They didn't treat people well, and they should have as an eye. I said, man, they should be a great pharmacy manager. They should really be talking to everyone well, taking them well, but they were coming out as a very high D and a very high C. They didn't test that way. And so they were being stretched and we worked for a little while. You know, a lot of your behaviors, it's scary to think about. A lot of this has developed because of belief and a belief system that you formed before the age of seven. People can come to you damaged. You don't always know their past and you can't hold it against them. I'm not saying you should do that, but this person too ended up with major psychological issues. And I told the owner for a while, we got to get them out of there. It's not safe. They get them out of there. I don't know what's going on. So I actually encourage them to go see a counselor, go see a psychologist, someone who's way more experienced than me, because there's something to be diagnosed and taken care of here. And the owner knew they had problems with the people, but they couldn't quite pinpoint what I was talking about. And I said, well, they need to be in the spotlight. So they're going to sabotage other people so they can be on the spotlight. And this owner, they have a very successful 340B program. This particular pharmacist, they kept asking to get them onto the financial committee so they could look at the finances and they were going to become the 340B expert and stuff. Anyway, finally, they got that pharmacist. He left. He took another job. They didn't fire him or anything. They found thousands of dollars of checks in the safe that he was just stashing in there. He didn't steal the money or anything, but we think that he wanted to be added to that financial committee and then see this sudden surge of hundreds of thousands of dollars into their cash flow because of these checks that would just somehow hit the bank because of his recommendations. He was totally sabotaging their cash flow. It was their most successful store, and they weren't making any money off of that. Amazing. I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in your office, like hearing all these stories, because some of this is predictable. So it's kind of nice that you can use this stuff in tool. So Tell people how to get a hold of you, because you've done really good work with a lot of people. And I think this skill set, this zone of genius, if you will, is really a good skill set that I think we can all utilize and get an ROI on it. There's not just to do stuff. So how do people get a hold of you? How do they follow you? Yeah, great question. So you can email me, Travis at farmfurther.com. 
That's a great way to get a hold of me. I get a ton of email. Just be patient with me and follow up if you do have something that needs up quite a bit. But really, what I've started doing that's been really helpful, Josh, with my board certification in ambulatory care, pharmacy, and with my pharmacy ownership background, I can do a lot of things and I can help you with a lot of things. But what you just said is really important. People are my specialty and getting them in the right seat for implementation is really what I want to do and what I really thrive at. And I'm very good at it. So what I recommend is for you to go to this website. You can go to group.farmfurther.com. And again, that's group.farmfurther.com. It's going to take you through a series of short questions, and then it's going to add you into my Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. And you can see I've got a ton of free resources in there. I post a ton of different things throughout the week to help things. It's usually resources or articles or books that I've recommended to a coaching client because it's a problem that is coming up a lot in pharmacy or I think a lot of pharmacy owners can use. That's the best way to go there is go to that Facebook group. And the reason why I say that is because you can see what I do. You can see the content that I work with and you won't be disappointed when you come to me because I can help you do things like implementation and workflow analysis and that kind of stuff. But my forte is the people people management. And so go to that, go to that Facebook group. You can see some of what I do. And then if you do like what you see, there are ways within that private group to book a one-on-one call with me. And the first call is always free. It's a free discovery call for me to learn about your goals. I'll be the first to tell you if we're not the right fit for a number of reasons. Maybe I'm not the best person and I'll send you to the right person if I'm not that person. You know, if I, if I need to send you to Josh or somebody else or something that I'm not a specialist in, the biggest difference probably in me and other business coaches. They want to be your source for everything. Yeah, I'm here to save independent pharmacy, and I'm not going to do that by trying to do it all myself. So I want you to find the expert, and the expert in people is me. And so go to group.farmfurther.com, see a little bit what I do. If you're interested, you'll find a way in there to book a call, and all the details are there. So thanks a bunch for being a part of this, and I hope I can help you invest in your people as well. Yeah, we've used you quite a bit. It's funny because we use... EOS and we've operated that way for a few years and we have, we're actually going to have an EOS implementer on this summit to talk to pharmacists about the entrepreneurial operating system and you learn that there's two main issue drivers in all business are people and process. So yeah. if we can get people and process done 80%, then most of the time you're humming. And so obviously that's why I love your style. We both get along well because I'm the same way. It's like I love to be the guide for pharmacists that want to implement wellness in their pharmacies, right? So Travis is the guy who coaches pharmacists when they have people issues. It's like, you know, your lane and your eyes light up when you get to go in that arena, just like me. And so I love having these tools in the toolbox. I love having this tribe. I'm in the same space. We're all in this. This is why it's called Beyond the Pills. We're all in this together, but we have to motivate to get our industry, our pharmacists moving beyond that pill so we can do these things that, like you said, we're all in this to save our profession. So my friend, I love that. I think it's a great way to segue, but thank you for being on this and telling a little bit about your story and helping us understand us more in ourselves. So thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and and I look forward to working with each one of you as you watch this and want to learn more. Awesome. Be well, my friend. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Pills podcast. You can find Josh on LinkedIn and Facebook at Josh Rimini and on TikTok at Beyond the Pills. 
And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be forever grateful if you left a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know somebody who wants to go beyond the pills, send them this episode. If you've got any specific questions or ideas for future episodes, reach out to Josh and send him a message. Thanks again for being a part of the Beyond the Pills community. We'll see you next time. Thank you.